Hello, and welcome to the latest ClearBridge podcast. This is Jeff Schulze, CFA, Head of Economic and Market Strategy at ClearBridge Investments. ClearBridge is a global equity manager with $158 billion in assets under management, committed to delivering long-term results through authentic active management. We integrate ESG considerations into our fundamental research process across all strategies. As we head into summer, the only topic garnering more attention than the debt ceiling debate in the NBA Finals is generative AI. Artificial intelligence has been around for years, but the launch of ChatGPT has taken AI mainstream. As a father of school-aged children, I'm worried that these chatbots could make homework obsolete. But as a strategist following the market and the economy, I'm excited about the potential productivity gains AI technologies could support. Is generative AI the killer app that wipes out entire industries, or just the latest innovation that will make us more efficient? Here to help me sort through all the hoopla around AI are Anuj Parikh, ClearBridge's analyst for IT hardware, and Hilary Frisch, senior analyst for IT software. Anuj, this is your first time in the virtual podcast booth, so welcome. And Hillary, we've joked now that you've done nearly as many of these shows as I have, so I may call on you to sub as a host in the future. <laughs> Anush and Hillary will separate the signal from the noise in AI development in today's podcast, Generative AI, Fact and Fiction. Anush, Hillary, I'm really excited to be doing this podcast. I think this is top of mind for everybody in the economy. It's on financial market media day after day. Thank you very much for taking the time out of your day to talk to me about this. Thanks a lot, Jeff. We're happy to be here. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. Now, artificial intelligence applications and technology are, are not new, right? But large language models, LLMs for short, and generative AI have unlocked a new cycle of rapid innovation. And it's gone mainstream, and it's relatively easy to use for consumers, which is a huge difference. Take ChatGPT, for example. It's a chatbot built by OpenAI. It reached 100 million users in two months. Now, to put that number in perspective, it took Instagram over two years to reach that feat, Snapchat three years, Facebook three and a half years, and WhatsApp over four years. And right now, it's almost doubled and it's approaching 200 million. So this is the fastest growing consumer application in history. Now, obviously, this has been taking the world by storm. And I want to ask you, Anuj, why is the rollout of generative AI produced so much hype? Is it this speed and scale that we've never seen before of adoption? Or maybe has it been maybe a step change in AI technology that's made it more available? What's really driving this? Generative AI and ChatGPT specifically has markedly lowered the barriers to adoption with a much more user-friendly interface for leveraging AI that has allowed enterprises and consumers to appreciate the productivity and or revenue generation benefits across various use cases. In fact, enterprise AI adoption has more than doubled in the last year to 50% from 20% in 2017, according to McKinsey. And based on what NVIDIA mentioned in their Technology Analyst Day a few months ago, the amount of CUDA developers and downloads, AI startups, and the amount of accelerated applications has at least doubled, if not tripled, in the past three years. And uh, just to add to that, recently Microsoft had launched its Azure OpenAI services for enterprise because Anoush mentioned enterprise. They had garnered about 2,500 customers last quarter, which was literally up 10x quarter over quarter. And already as of this period in Q2, they're almost double that number. So it's just indicating that there's a bull list, just a tremendous amount of interest and demand in generative AI. 
that's amazing growth. And we're in the early innings. I can't imagine how how much further we're going to be as you look out a couple of years from, from where we currently stand. Right. But I want to talk about the magic of AI development, which is GPUs. For those of you not familiar with that acronym, it's Graphic Processing Units. Anush, why are they so crucial to AI development? And similar to my first question, has there been a rapid advance in technology in GPUs where you're seeing this adoption happen so much quickly? Tell us a little bit about the magic behind AI development. Sure. So AI has unique requirements, including most importantly, the ability to process a high volume of low precision calculations efficiently and in parallel. GPUs have proven to be the widest adopted compute technology for AI, given its inherent architectural advantages around parallel processing. What that means is GPUs have the ability to run a high volume of low precision calculations at the same time very efficiently. This is contrast to a CPU made by the likes of AMD and Intel, which has strengths in processing complex calculations sequentially or one after another. CPUs have been further disadvantaged by decelerating performance and power efficiency improvements with the slowing of Moore's law, on top of the fact that there's been execution challenges at Intel. While other AI chips have higher flexibility on design for performance optimization that can overcome the slowing of transistor scaling. So it's almost like these GPUs can run a Monte Carlo situation very quickly where CPUs are a little bit more linear in the way that they process information. Very interesting. So at the heart of the GPU story is really NVIDIA, right? Obviously, NVIDIA has been on a magical run this year. It's up 170%, give or take, year to date. Market cap hit a, a trillion dollars last week. It's in rare territory with Apple, Alphabet, Amazon, Microsoft. The markets are pricing in a lot of optimism that this is a, a company that really can't be challenged in the AI space. Is, it, is that true? Or did they have a genuine competitive mode in this area? Absolutely, Jeff. NVIDIA is dominant in AI. NVIDIA's mode, I'd say, is durable for four reasons. One, they provide end-to-end solutions across the entire accelerated computing stack. Not just silicon and chips, but also software, networking connectivity, and complete server systems. So basically a one-stop shop. Exactly, exactly. You can get everything you need to really facilitate the adoption at enterprises and cloud customers that are less familiar with, you know, all the ins and outs in terms of hardware infrastructure that's required to run these AI models. And then number two, I'd say the CUDA programming language, which basically works only on NVIDIA GPUs and allows for customers' AI applications and software to work seamlessly with NVIDIA's hardware has been the basis of many AI programming frameworks, such as Meta's PyTorch and Google's TensorFlow. On top of this, NVIDIA has made substantial investments in industry-specific software libraries to facilitate enterprise AI adoption, whether in oil and gas, specifically processing, or even in biopharma, drug discovery. And then last but not least, they continue to drive leading improvements in performance with each successive generation of silicon that drives unrivaled performance and lowers the cost of AI compute beyond what can be achieved with Moore's Law. And then AMD and Google, I'd say, are the most credible competitors to keep an eye on today. For AMD, they're caught up on performance and power efficiency of their chips. But on the other hand, they're far behind on software development for GPUs, including the ecosystem around their Rockham programming language, which is a competitor to NVIDIA's programming language CUDA, as well as the extent of investment in industry vertical-specific libraries that NVIDIA has done. 
in Google's case, their AI chip called the Tensor Processing Unit has lower performance than NVIDIA's chips, particularly the latest generation Hopper. And the other disadvantage for customers looking to utilize Google's solution is that Google has not opened up their software ecosystem around the TPU chip to others. They've kept it in-house. So it sounds like this first mover advantage that you have with NVIDIA is genuine, right? The markets maybe not be, <laughs> might not be getting over their skis with what's being priced right now. But obviously, NVIDIA is not the only company that's doing well this year. There's a handful of other mega cap tech companies that are dominating and doing quite well on a relative basis. And obviously, they dominate areas like online search, digital advertising, e-commerce, the cloud, you name it. So the markets are pricing in that AI is obviously going to creep to their bottom line as well. So I want to talk to you, Hillary, about is AI actually going to make them more dominant like the market's pricing right now? Or do you actually see an environment where maybe some of the technology spreads their capabilities across to other companies? That's a really great point you bring up, Jeff. Overall, with respect at least to AI infrastructure and the base platforms that serve up those AI models we're hearing so much about, I do expect mega caps like Microsoft Azure to really flourish based on one, economies of scale, two, access to critical resources, which they have the real ability to garner, three, first mover advantage, and fourth, technological lead generally. Now, there will be a flurry of new entrants with specific solutions, different kinds of models, but I expect the mega cap participants to become marketplaces for essentially all forms of AI models and services. So not just the large language models, but small and large language models alike, both generative as well as traditional AI ML solutions. So customers are likely to experiment at least initially with a whole variety of models, both on-prem and in the cloud, both open source as well as these established commercial models, but there is gravity to data and connecting proprietary data to large models, which are predominantly driven in the cloud today is likely to result in more AI activity going to the cloud than not. And due to the economies of scale that these vendors benefit from, these mega cap hyperscale vendors, likely no one will be able to train and run large language models as well as the hyperscale platforms. And in turn, those mega cap hyperscale platforms should benefit from those economies of scale across their entire portfolio, not just across their LLMs. And I think we're already starting to see some alignment around what I would call spheres of influence. So Microsoft with OpenAI, Google with Anthropic, although, you know, we're going to see a lot of permutations of this. But at the end of the day, I do see the hyperscale vendors as major beneficiaries. Okay. So again, it seems like a a rational pricing of the opportunity set that you're looking out to in the horizon for AI. But one thing that it's concerning to a lot of individuals is the potential for job loss and industries to be put out of business, creative destruction at its finest. If you think about lawyers or journalists, right, they looked fairly safe from automation about a year ago, and now they're facing competitive threats. If you look at the GPT-4, which was released in March, it was able to score a top decile score in the simulated bar exam, where its previous version, the 3.5, was in the bottom decile. So obviously, there's going to be disintermediation out there. But I'd argue from a lawyer standpoint, while the ability to recall amazing quantities of legal rules isn't really beneficial, you still need to be able to be make persuasive arguments and grapple with complex problems that AI might not solve. So again, you're going to have a change of way of how people do business. But 
is there going to be maybe other areas where you're going to genuinely see disintermediation from generative AI? Well, such a great question again, Jeff. We are very early on in this, but I would I would just say, let's use an example. One of the most immediate and obvious applications for generative AI is in code development, where Microsoft's GitHub Copilot, for example, is helping developers to complete 50% plus of the code that's actually written on the platform. It's a it's generally a code repository and development platform. Copilot is also doing helpful things like reinforcing development best practices on behalf of developers. Now, GitHub Copilot can't do this without a human. And in fact, human intervention is required at all stages of the development process to keep GitHub going in line and doing what we wanted to do. But it definitely accelerates developer activity and productivity. And that's an interesting template for future use cases. But in the realm of developers, there's such a shortage of developers across the world. And in fact, this could expand the purview of the number of people who can develop because they're enabled by Copilot, not disintermediated by Copilot. At the application level, generally, AI is going to enable some upstarts and new companies to thrive and flourish who might not have had the critical mass of engineers and resources that they would have previously required. And it could swing some competitive dynamics in one direction or another that might not have been the case previously. But our view is if a company has a differentiated or proprietary data set, unique and entrenched workflows and a trusted position within their customer base, they should really benefit from generative AI. And today, at least, AI-enabled services are being priced at a really big premium relative to standard offerings because they bring such productivity benefits. So this is just one way to think about the situation. Yeah, there, there's the general tendency to overestimate how replaceable humans are throughout history, right? Absolutely, 100%. <laughs> New technologies don't substitute labor, but they complement it, which uh, I think a lot of people don't necessarily fully appreciate. The other thing you know, I want to talk about here is the potential for maybe regulatory risks and, and privacy risks as we get to broader AI adoption. Here in New York City, the schools have banned ChatGPT because they're scared about academic cheating. Italy's banned it altogether due to privacy concerns. And given how quickly things are spreading, I could see some short-term dislocations in the labor markets and maybe governments start to intervene because there's generally kind of a low tolerance when people's employment prospects tend to change. So what are your thoughts on the regulatory risks, the privacy risks. I know we've been hearing a little bit more about that, but any insight that you can lend on those areas that we might be seeing coming down the pike? Sure. Well, there certainly seems to be an inevitability to the adoption of generative AI. There's so much momentum behind it, but the factors which I'm watching, and I think we're watching collectively, which could actually slow AI's momentum include one First and foremost, regulatory oversight. Even Sam Altman, who's the co-founder and CEO of OpenAI, has been encouraging and requesting regulatory oversight and involvement. I think he wants to see this all go as, as smoothly as possible. Another is the privacy risks you cited, such as what data gets exposed by AI models and how the AI model vendors will actually leverage customer data. I know that Microsoft's trying to take a leading position on this topic, but it's something that customers will need to feel comfortable with and we'll have to see worked out in the marketplace. Another potential hurdle might be potential security breaches that could actually be either perpetuated by or enabled through AI programs 
or it could simply be a, a matter of AI not quite performing as expected, you know, going off the rails, hallucinating, generating unintended consequences. So there's still quite a bit to be worked out, although when you have this much effort behind an initiative, these things tend to get worked out sooner than later. And a final factor we're watching is the potential for resource shortages, at least on a short-term basis with a flurry of demand that could end up with meaning some capacity issues or some cost issues on an interim basis, but probably not on a longer-term basis. Anoush, any, any thoughts on your end? Absolutely. I think from an infrastructure perspective, given NVIDIA has a monopoly position, in GPUs, although customers always have a desire to multi-source semi-components, NVIDIA continues to provide leading performance with its GPUs, thus lower overall TCO. So although customers would like other vendors to kind of keep NVIDIA at bay, the opportunity cost of deploying a competitor solution is high and I think limits the antitrust-related risk at this point. Well, obviously, we're going into a, a new frontier, and then a lot of things are going to be changing in a, in a short period of time, it sounds like. From my vantage point as a, a macro guy, I really just wanted to touch on the fact that generative AI is going to impact labor productivity in a, in a very positive way, and it's going to be quite disinflationary, which is, is going to be helpful. We got non-farm productivity today fell by 2.1% on an annualized basis. Key driver of that is obviously higher wage growth and unit labor costs being higher. But the developed world is going to need a shot in the arm from a productivity perspective. And it's going to be a boost to corporate returns because you have things like aging population, deglobalization, reshoring, the move from private to public power. And when I kind of think about what could happen with this mosaic when you're talking about AI, I think this is actually really going to help high labor firms find efficiencies for some of their less productive workers, maybe cut out some of the mundane parts of their jobs and make these high labor firms a, a lot more productive. And if you think about, obviously, this is going to be accretive to the companies that we talked about today in, in IT. I think if you look in the broader ecosystem of U.S. companies, a lot of the companies have lower market caps, thinner margins, lower growth rates because of the high labor that they employ. This could be a big boost in the broaden out of outperformance for equities as we look to the back half of this decade. And we've been talking about this at ClearBridge for a while that we firmly believe that we're in the midst of a secular bull market, which is a 20-year period where U.S. equities have outsized returns. And this secular bull market started in March of 2009. And I've really been trying to find what's going to be the catalyst for the last stage of the secular bull market in the back half of this decade. And I genuinely think the adoption of AI and the productivity gains that it brings with it and the disinflation, which will be a welcome, <laughs> a welcome sign for policymakers, really could drive better earnings and market returns as we look forward. Well, Hillary Anuj, I really just want to say thank you very much for weighing in here on a topic that's you know, on everybody's mind. I know I personally learned a lot from you both. So thank you very much for kind of painting the landscape and giving me a better understanding of the AI uh, exposure and where the opportunities are. Thanks so much, Jeff. It's been a really fun discussion. Thanks, Jeff. And I want to thank everybody here for listening. I hope that you'll continue to join us for the podcast that we're going to have in the back half of the year. As always, we welcome any questions, comments, and suggestions, which you can email us at podcast at clearbridge.com. Take care. Please note the following.
Past performance is no guarantee of future results. The opinions and views expressed in today's podcast are of the individual speakers as of June 1st, 2023, and may differ from other managers or the firm as a whole, and are not intended to be a forecast of future events, a guarantee of future results, or investment advice. Any statistics reference have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but the accuracy and completeness of this information cannot be guaranteed. Neither ClearBridge Investments nor its information providers are responsible for any damages or losses arising from any use of this information.